Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We are back today with Brad Bortner, retired from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. Most recently within the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Brad served as the chief of the Division of Migratory Bird Management. We also have joining us Larry Reynolds, the waterfowl study leader for Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries and a frequent guest on the Ducks Unlimited podcast. So, Brad and Larry, thank you again for joining us here. And I want to jump right in. In the previous episode here, we, we gave what was basically a, a refresher, a Cliff Notes version of Harvest Information Program, what it is, uh, what the hunter's roles are in it, and, and a few other things that we wanted to emphasize relative to the importance of that program. But now we have a very important discussion that we want to follow up on, uh, and that is some exploratory changes to the HIP registration process that, it, that, that are being rolled out in 2020 for some states. I think some of the listeners of this podcast probably know about these by now, but for others, just want to make you aware of those. I think it's some very exciting changes. Brad, I want to go to you right off the bat with this question. Have you kind of set up this, this issue for us and tell us what's going on um, and perhaps, you know, why this, why this came about. We, we actually, I'll kind of go back to an episode that we had with Kathy and she referenced some of these potential changes coming, uh, coming down the pike. And, and here we are. And this is one of those, one of those issues where all data collection systems are imperfect. Our job as responsible managers of this particular resource for the data collection that we're, that, that it's, to which it's relevant, is to look for those areas where it might be imperfect and always seek opportunities to improve those. And that's what we're, that's what we're finding right now. So, Brad, I want to just, I'm going to hand this over to you. Set this up for us. Talk to us a little bit about where we are with respect to these exploratory changes. You have a very important role in this, and that's why I'm going to go to you for this. So, yeah, just tell us what it is that we're, that, that's afoot on the, on the harvest information program landscape right now. Sure, Mike. When in the 90s, when HIP was developed, um, it was a cooperation between the 49 states uh, that hunt migratory game birds. Hawaii does not have migratory game bird hunting seasons and the Fish and Wildlife Service. And recognizing that every state has a, a separate licensing program, there are HIP is administered in 49 different states differently. You know, it's um, so. Um, there's slight differences um, in every state and how you license, uh, what type of licenses they issue. Uh, but the bottom line is there's a federal requirement that every person that is hunting migratory game birds um, must register for HIP and and uh, that name and address and, and answer file get sent to the Fish and Wildlife Service. But as you can see that with those 49 different approaches to, um, to HIP, um, it's, it's created some issues. Um, and, um, that with the declining response rates that Kathy alluded to, um, you know, long-term trend in hunter numbers, declining, um, 
of response rates and then changes that come about um, in HIP uh, when states change their licensing systems. You know, we've, as we all know, every state is moving on to point of sales um, or electronic versions of, of uh, licensing. It, it has created some issues and one big one that has been identified is either the vendors um, at a point of sale, like, um, you know, a sporting goods store, not asking the hunters questions or trying to speed through it and just putting in answers for hunters or hunters not uh, understanding the survey and just putting down zeros or, or they're not good, they don't intend to hunt. And we found a high percentage of, of hunters in some states are saying, um, yeah, I'm getting hit, but I didn't hunt last year and I don't intend to hunt this year, which doesn't make a lot of sense. And so um, when the management community, um, that includes all the state uh, fish and game, uh, fish and wildlife agencies and the Fish and Wildlife Service and some other partners started discussing this, they decided to start looking at different um, different factors that were um, that were affecting the um, accuracy and precision of the HIP estimates and decided that they would like to um, see if they can take a concerted effort to look at that. And the Wildlife Management Institute, the, the organization that um, I'm working for right at the moment on a part-time basis, um, stepped up and said, okay, well, they would take the lead um, on trying to work with um, uh, six to eight states to try to make some changes to see if that helped um, improve um, the efficiency, the accuracy, and the precision of the HIP estimates. And so uh, based on the experience in a, in a few states, um, we started looking at ways where the hunters are directly answering those questions and giving that information to the state fish and wildlife agencies. And so I've been working with a number of different states to um, come up with a state-specific uh, way of collecting that information um, where there isn't uh, as much of an opportunity to um, uh, to have the uh, somebody else alter the information or not accurately um, provide the hunter's information to the state. Uh, Brad, I'll, I'll come back to you in a minute, but I want to go to Larry now. And because Larry, I know from some of the emails that we exchanged leading up to this episode, uh, you have a particular interesting uh, story, you might say. It, it's basically what you've seen in your state that has alerted you to some potential issues with some of the very things that, that Brad just talked about. Uh, can you can you kind of walk us walk us through share with the listeners uh, some of the some of the things that you saw that made you realize this we, we can do better than this well we've we've long known that especially some of the larger uh, retail license vendors have have either been filling in the questions for the hunters or bypassing the questions completely um, myself and my right hand man intentionally buy our licenses at different places every year. And, and I can tell you that in the last 12 years, I've only been asked the hip registration questions twice in those 12 years. So we, we knew, we've, we've always known that there's been a little bit of an issue. Um, but I had always assumed that as more people buy their licenses online, that it would be less and less of a, of a problem. 
But it really, it really slapped me in the face this year when we conducted the, the 2020 waterfowl hunters. Uh, opinion survey. Uh, we do a, a big hunter opinion survey every five years, uh, which corresponds to the timeline for us um, uh, uh, with our opportunity to change our zones and splits options. And so uh, we went to conduct this, uh, this waterfowl hunter survey. And so we took the HIP registration database um, and we looked at all of those hunters and we wanted to make sure that our survey went to waterfowl hunters. And so looking at those hip registration questions, what we found was that 74.7% of the migratory bird hunters in Louisiana that had registered with hip, 184,000, almost 75% of them, according to the hip date registration database, did not hunt any species of migratory birds the year before. And that is completely and totally absurd. There is no possible way that's anywhere near correct. And what it told me is that there is an alarming rate of licensed vendors not asking the hip registration questions. And actually, once I got into the way that our particular vendor has created the hip registration page, it, it actually has an active continue button at the bottom. So instead of the license vendor asking the hunters the question, they just click on hip registration. It goes to the page to get all of that additional information and they just hit continue. And the hunter is registered with hip with did not hunt for all of the different species. Well, now, now it's costing me resources because now I can't tell. 75% of 184,000 migratory bird hunters, I have no clue whether they're dove hunters duck hunters, goose hunters. And so how do I decide who to send my survey to? Well, it was pretty easy. I sent it to everybody. Everybody that had an email address, had a hip registration and an email address, got my survey. And when we got the responses back, 29%, nearly 30% of the responses came came back to me from people who have not hunted waterfowl in the state of Louisiana for at least the last five years. And so it was a classic waste of time, energy, resources, and a little bit of hacking off my, uh, my migratory bird hunters that said, why are you sending me a survey when, when I've never hunted ducks or I haven't hunted ducks in the last five years? So, so it became clear to me that we had a solvable problem um, that that we could that we could attempt to take on by making some changes in the way we uh, we do hip registration Larry I've I've experienced that pretty much every hunter I think has if they've bought if they've obtained their hip certification at a point of sale at a vendor, they will have experienced that situation where either they were not asked the questions or, or, or maybe the, the, uh, the, the clerk would have 
offered to answer the questions for them or just to offer an answer. They would allow them to get through it as quick as possible. I've had that happen before. And it's oftentimes very difficult to undo that once they've started the process or once they've actually submitted the information. Uh, and we talked with uh, with Paul about that as well. And he's had that similar experience. And so, I mean, obviously, when you have the the degree of, of the issue, as you described there, based on what you found this year, is a serious a uh, serious problem. Now, so I have to ask you a couple of questions here. Are you, have you heard from any of your other state colleagues that may be having similar, uh, similar issues or is this only an issue for Louisiana? Oh, no. Um, there are, there are a number of states that are having uh, similar issues. Um, I've been, I've been working very closely with my, with my colleague in Arkansas. Um, he has, uh, he has generated some excellent information. Um, and, and the reason that, that, uh, that I've paid special attention to Arkansas is because they have the same license vendor that we do. And, and they're having similar issues. Um, I've heard from Kathy Fleming that there are other states where the number of HIP registrations that are um, all did not hunt have increased dramatically in recent years. And so, um, no, Louisiana is not alone. Um, we're just, we're just among those States that are in this pilot study to see if we can have some success in, in remedying that situation. Now I have to ask, uh, I have to ask a natural extension of this particular, um, issue here. If we're seeing this kind of problem with the, the hip certification, the, the hip registrants, do we know, do we know how that influences our estimates of the number of waterfowl hunters and the number uh, number of harvested waterfowl? Do we understand that? I um, I think that is probably has a variable effect in in different states. Um, in Louisiana, it is uh, it's probably a pretty big problem. Um, I, I may be even understating that a little bit because our license structure has a variety of licenses that, that exempt that hunter from buying a duck stamp. Um, I have no hard license sale that allows me to estimate the, the number of duck hunters in the state. Um, I talked earlier about the migratory bird license in Missouri. It has no exemptions. It doesn't matter how old you are um, or which migratory bird you hunt. You have to purchase that migratory bird license. But in Louisiana, our lifetime license holders, lifetime licenses allow you to hunt ducks, but you are exempt from purchasing a state a duck license or a state duck stamp, senior licenses, anyone over the age of 60 in Louisiana does not have to buy um, a state duck stamp, um, uh, Louisiana sportsman license. And so when I look at the license sales, I have no clue how many duck hunters or at least potential duck hunters there are in the state of Louisiana. The migratory bird license in Missouri the state duck stamp in Arkansas is required of everyone. There are no exemptions. So if in a state like Arkansas, the hip registration issues 
are a little bit less of a problem in in estimating duck numbers because they have those duck stamp sales now and i'm talking about this from a state level now um for me it's a it's a bigger problem i have i have depended on the hip database um to, to give me some index as to changes in waterfowl hunters over the years. Now, when it comes to the federal estimates of hunter numbers, I've got to believe that it is a, um, a much more serious problem, but, but Kathy Fleming and Paul Padding would be a far better source of information on that. So, Mike, let me, let me, um, yeah, let me throw in my two cents. It is... At a state level, um, obviously, it's uh, a problem, um, you know, um, and I, I always try to avoid picking out individual states and, and pointing out problems. But we've had problems with other states where by one year, their vendor sent us the um, the deer hunters. And I, use, as chief, used to get hate mail from me saying, I've never shot a duck in my life. Why are you asking me how many ducks I shot? Um um, and so there are problem there are problems out there, but if you um, without getting into the, the nitty gritty on on statistical theory and everything else, what it what it primarily does is it makes the surveys um, less precise. We still have um, a, a an estimate of the number of uh, of hunters and the harvest. Uh, at a at a flyway basis at a management unit basis that's pretty uh pretty good but um when you start getting down to the to the state level um the confidence intervals or the confidence that we have in those estimates uh, you know uh, starts starts to deteriorate and certainly when you get down to the county level um it it becomes you know less and less precise um Nevertheless, that's why we're working on this is we, you know, we throughout the management community um, feel like we can do a much better job by, you know, changing some of the um, the procedures, but also educating hunters about the importance of this and why they should care about. Brad, that's a great segue. So let's let's just go right into that with you. Talk uh, talk a little bit about um uh, about the the pilot study that's underway, and wh- where is it underway, and what what are we trying to accomplish? So uh, I'm working um, with um, uh, six to eight different states uh, in all. You know, we're trying to get two states in each of the four flyways to develop systems in that state where hunters are are interacting directly with the state agency to answer the, the hip stratification questions. And whether it's an approach by web um, entry or um, a telephone authorization um, of, you know, we're, we're trying to, in each state, trying to design the, the approach that, uh, that unique to that state that they want to take uh, um, that interacts best with their hunters. But it's basically, um, you know, uh, in the Atlantic Flyway, uh, we're working with Connecticut, North Carolina, in the Mississippi Flyway, um, Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, and I'm I'm hopeful that um, uh, one or two other states. I've been I'm talking to uh, a few other states, um, and as Larry has indicated, Arkansas is one of those states that's that is considering some changes in the um, in the Central Flyway. I've been working with uh, uh, Kansas. Um, 
And um, in the Pacific Flyway, and it um, is Arizona and Montana, which is both Central Flyway and Missis- and Pacific Flyway, been working with them and expect them to, to implement changes for the 2021 license year um, that will uh, have hunters directly um, reporting uh, the answers to those questions uh, to the um to the state agencies and hopefully um, as a pilot, we can demonstrate that we can get more precise information, better information, and it feeds into um, higher quality data going into the harvest surveys and, and more precise estimates of um, harvest um, for all the different species. I, I, you know, we kind of, we kind of danced around it earlier. Um, You know, the species questions are very important too is um, the one I like to show is uh, like to talk about is, is trying to f- determine the number of rail hunters. Um, all of us probably know that there is rail hunting um, allowed in the Eastern three flyways, but I'm not sure how many people, you know, that, um, that harvest rails. So you can imagine um, is if you go through and try to find those, uh, the, if the fish and wildlife service or the States tried to go through and, and, and contact randomly contact every migratory bird hunter in the state. It would be like finding uh, a needle in a haystack. So it's much more helpful to have the answers to those questions. So we're directed directly to those uh, to those rail hunters. Brad, have there been any states that have? Because um, I, mean, I know this isn't the first time the the issue has has kind of surfaced, and people have kind of sought some refinements, some adjustments to improve the quality of the data. Are there any states that have that have done a a, a good job kind of tackling this on their own outside of the pilot study before now? Um, Kentucky, um, a few years ago, um, under the um, of leadership of um, of Karen Waldrop, who is now with Ducks Unlimited, um, and the state waterfowl biologist uh, John um, Brunges, um, uh, did implement a program uh, with um, where all of the state um, migratory bird hunters need to either get online or make a phone call and uh, get uh, their HIP certification registered. They um, they have uh, had great success doing it, and it has helped um, improve the accuracy um, of their data. And that was one of the things that really opened up people's eyes that it is possible to make great uh, changes, um, and 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 not um, not make it too much more difficult for hunters to to answer those questions. So, Brad, to be clear, that basically means that. Kentucky took those questions uh, out of the the point of the the retail vendors, right? And in, in other words, if those hunters now, migratory bird hunters now have to go online or or, or make a phone call, they cannot. They can no longer get HIP certification uh, at the at those uh, retail vendors, right? Uh, that's correct. Uh, if if you're um, hunting migratory birds in Kentucky, you've got a um, after you, if you if you're getting your license at a point of sale, after you get it, you have to get online and um, tell them um, that you have a HIP certification that you want to register. You um, either fill it, fill out the question, the answers to the questions online or uh, on telephone, and you get back a registration number, and that registration number is written on your uh, on your HIP, and you're good to go. And the law enforcement agents in the states um, have. 
um, ways to verify that if they encounter you in the in the uh, in the field, and they also um, have ways for you to go ahead and register um, in the field if you haven't done it, but you have your HIP certification um, in your license material. Larry, I want to talk to you about what uh, Louisiana's kind of efforts in this regard. I know I've seen some emails from you. I've seen some announcements from Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries about the changes in this regard that that your agency is implementing. Uh, And so any of your hunters that will be listening to this will certainly be very interested in what you have to say if they weren't already aware. But but just talk to us about the changes, the nature of the changes that Louisiana is making. We actually used Kentucky as a template to some degree um, in our efforts to to eliminate third-party HIP registration. We are requiring all of our migratory bird hunters to uh, get their HIP certification online or at the LDWF headquarters in Baton Rouge. Um, Those are the only two choices. Uh, when a hunter goes to a retail license vendor and buys his license, he is informed that HIP certification is no longer available there and uh, directed online. And so it's it's actually pretty pretty straightforward and and, and simple in Louisiana. Um, you're you're forced to register with HIP um, online or at the Baton Rouge headquarters. Larry, we talk a lot about how HIP certification is required. And of course, the logical extension of that is the recognition that if a migratory bird hunter is in the field they and they don't have their HIP certification and they're checked by a conservation officer, they can be issued a citation. Now, in Louisiana this year, you are implementing a new system by which migratory bird hunters are required to obtain their HIP certification. And I know there's always kind of a learning curve with these types of things. Do you expect citations for for failing to have HIP certification, at least by your state law enforcement, to occur with the same regularity and same kind of level of enforcement as in past years? And recognizing that there may be some situations where people just aren't aware of the change or or, or maybe just couldn't figure out exactly what they were supposed to do. Or they got confused by what they were supposed to do. Uh, what do you expect in that regard? Well, I, I hope not this first year. Um, that is, uh, uh, that's going to be part of our outreach effort and our, our, uh, uh, our ask for communication with law enforcement officers. We're hoping to uh, roll our, our law enforcement folks into some compliance checks and some reminders. Um, I mean, I think it's a great opportunity for interaction between our, our law enforcement folks and hunters. There are some, some great stories of, uh, of our law enforcement officers actually helping people buy their, buy their duck stamps online uh, because that's something we can do um, in lieu of writing them a ticket. And so um, our intention this first year uh, through through outreach and education and compliance checks is to transition into this. Um, I've, I've received a number of angry phone calls, as you can imagine, uh, since this has been started. And and one yesterday was uh, was a business owner 
in central Louisiana, a, a really great guy who was was calling me literally out of concern for his older customers. But but he was pretty angry that that our solution to this problem, which I mean, this problem is caused largely by retail license vendors not doing what they have agreed contractually to do. But yet, that's great, Reynolds. So your solution to this is not to to fix the source of the problem, but to make it more difficult for our hunters to be legally licensed to hunt waterfowl, Uh, especially you know, my uncle and my father that are 83 and 85 years old. And, uh, and he was pretty angry and going on about me a little bit about rural areas and people not having online access. And, um, I, I told him at the time that, uh, I have yet to meet a human being that doesn't have a child, a grandchild or a friend that can, help them go online and get their hip registration. And, uh, and he thought for a minute, it kind of stopped him a little bit. And, and he said, you're right. I I could do that for my dad and my uncle, couldn't I? (laughs) And so, uh, so there's, I understand where they're coming from. I really do. Um, the, the fact that, that you used to walk into Walmart and get all your licenses and walk out and, and you're ready to go, now we're forcing you to take an extra step. And, and it's not your fault that that, that happened. Um, but it's important to me, um, and I, I think it's important to everybody, because harvest data is being used more and more now than ever before. Brad already explained that that those estimates are going directly into our harvest uh, our harvest strategies. We're now looking at estimating population size using Lincoln Peterson indices, and harvest data is the is the numerator in that Lincoln Peterson index. Um, it's never been more important than it is now, and so we've we've got to do everything we can to. Uh, to improve the system. And, and the last point I want to make is, um, you know, obviously I'm on the front lines with hunters. I'm at the public meetings. I'm doing the notices of intent. I'm doing workshops. And, and there are a lot of hunters that don't think the harvest data is meaningful at all. And one of the reasons is because, well, here you are, Larry, talking to us about all these problems with hip registration. So, so how can you use the harvest data for anything? You know, why should we believe you that Louisiana still kills more ducks than any other state in the Mississippi flyway besides Arkansas? And what everyone needs to understand is that even if hip registration provided nothing but names and addresses of migratory bird hunters. If these hip registration questions went away and weren't asked, we still have a scientifically sound foundation for generating um, statistically and scientifically meaningful harvest estimates. It's just that they would be less efficient, more variable, and require a lot more money 
to get done than if we make these improvements uh, in the HIP registration process. Larry, one other thing that I want to touch on, give you an opportunity to respond to is, and I don't think we've touched on this yet, and I know it's been a point of concern for some of the folks in uh, in, in your state as these proposed changes uh, have come out. And let me ask you, I guess, a couple of questions. Is this a permanent change at this stage, or is this a sort of trial pilot study for Louisiana? Is it sort of a time-limited trial? Um, it doesn't It doesn't have a sunset clause, if, if that's what you're asking. Um, but it, we are doing this as part of a pilot study. If it doesn't work, we're not going to keep doing it. Um, we're, we're going to find some other way to get this done. But Mike, in all honesty, this is the way the world is going. Um, there is no, there really is very little need for, um, retail license vending, um, when you can do everything online, when you can purchase all of your licenses online and and you can print it out on a printer or you can save it to your phone, you can keep a PDF file in your uh, in your emails. Um, everything about this is taking us to to what is the predictable and expected next level. Larry, I want to come back to something. I, I never, I never finished my the question I was going to ask you a minute ago. Uh, earlier in in this episode, you made reference to HIP certification being free in Louisiana, and and I know having lived there for. 13, 14 years. I know that was the case, but I also know that that is changing now in response to this, this, this new way of doing it. And, and I know anytime there is a fee increase, a fee change of any sorts, it creates, unless, unless it goes down, then people are happy. But if there's a fee, a new fee or an increase in a fee, I mean, that's understandably people uh, have a sort of a negative reaction to that. And I know that's kind of been the case here, but I just want to give you an opportunity to explain that fee, explain the, the, the reason for it to your Louisiana hunters? There's been no change in fees. Uh, HIP, uh, a HIP certification is still free, but um, there has always been a $2 convenience fee for any online transaction. So if you buy your hunting licenses online, if you register for a lottery hunt online, um, any online transaction through uh, through our website incurs a two dollar convenience fee, and one of the one of the issues, one of the the aggravations about this change that we're making is that we are requiring hunters to register with HIP online. Their own the only way for them to not do it online is to come to the headquarters in Baton Rouge. And that and that online HIP registration incurs a two dollar convenience fee, which which has aggravated a few hunters because they, you know, they've made it clear that you have inconvenienced me by forcing me to go online <laughs> and get my HIP registration, and and then you charge me a, a two dollar convenience fee, and 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 it it is indeed. A, a negative part of this change. This is the last year of the three-year contract with our current vendor. And we are currently in negotiations for the next three years. 
And that convenience fee for a free privilege, uh, the HIP certification, um, is, is being negotiated. So that may well, uh, change, uh, next year. Yeah. I mean, if I have anything to say about it, um, it will certainly change. Uh, but for this year, um, any trans, any, uh, online transaction will incur a, a $2 convenience fee. And, and that includes if the only reason you had to go online was for HIP certification. But now if you, if you obtained your HIP certification along with your hunting license on online, you only incur a single inconvenience, uh, almost said inconvenience fee. <laughs> <laughs> you only incur that convenience fee once, correct? That's correct. And, and it's, it's really been, it's been kind of fun talking with, with hunters about this. Um, like when you, when you talk to someone that says you're, you're making it more difficult for hunters to get licenses. And, and I know as soon as they say it, they go, uh Oh yeah, because you could be in, in the middle of the woods in backcountry uh, Louisiana or standing at a boat ramp at four thirty in the morning and you can buy your hunting and fishing licenses. It has never been easier to, to get fishing and hunting licenses, sitting on the couch, watching TV, uh, drinking an adult beverage. You can get yourself fully licensed, um, to hunt or fish in the state of Louisiana or, or I'm, I'm sure practically everywhere else. Um, and so. Um, it, it's, it's been interesting talking to people about it, but any change is, is difficult. Um, it's, it's inconvenient. It, it certainly is. Larry, thank you for making that clarification and providing those perspectives. As I always find these conversations uh, enlightening and, and entertaining. And, and of course, anytime it's uh, have you on here, it's also fun. So it's, it's, it's all great. But thanks for the, the great disti- distinction and how some of those fees and, uh, you know, there are, are kind of characterized there. So, um, and, and that's the way I buy my license now anyway, whether it be a fishing license, hunting license, it's, and certainly now I think with, uh, with everybody working remotely over the past six months, we're probably going to see even a, a greater shift in, in that regard. But, um, but enough of that, I want to, but before you go on, Mike, go ahead. I, I need to make one clarification because, you know, you've known me a long time and you know, I, I get distracted when I, when I start uh, telling a story or, or something from experience. But the important part of your question that I didn't say directly is that no matter how many licenses you buy or how many lottery hunts uh, you register for or how many other things you do online, you pay one $2 convenience fee. So, uh, I bought my licenses for the first time ever. I bought all of my licenses online. I bought my hunting license, my fishing license, my saltwater license, my resident duck license, my federal duck stamp, my WMA permit, and my HIP certification. And for all of that, there was just one $2 convenience fee. Now, Larry, am I correct, though, that it's one, it's, it's, you're charged that convenience fee for every 
online session, purchase session, because I know I've made the mistake of going online, bought my hunting license or something, and I'm, then I, I pay for it and log off and like, son of a gun, I forgot to buy this. When I go back, I then have to pay another $2 convenience fee, right? That's correct. <laughs> so I just want to make sure we clarify that too. <laughs> so Brad, I want to I come to you for the next question. And we're getting close to wrapping this up. This has been a long episode, but it's been an informative ep- episode. And I know it's, it's really important for hunters. And I hope they really enjoy this information because we have two of the experts to, to discuss this topic on with us. So we talked about the pilot efforts that that are either underway or that you're trying to line up. Uh, so the logical next question is: Once you have a, a couple years under the belt for this pilot study, then what? Uh, do we know kind of what the next step is at that point, or was this just an effort where we had where we said we have to develop the conviction to at least try something different. Is that kind of where we are or are we beginning to look down the road and do we know what the next steps are? We don't have the next steps lined out. We're not sure what the results are going to be, but we're hopeful that this is going to end up in improvement and give us more uh, reliable information once we improve the, the quality of our data. And that will increase the utility both for hunters and, uh, and for setting up hunting seasons. Um, but we, th- you know, we think that um, this, uh, you know, the management community, um, you know, the flyway, the flyways, uh, the states and the Fish and Wildlife Service think that the effort is is worth making to see if we can um, uh, improve the quality of data, not compromise um, how we sell licenses and and make it more difficult to hunters. Um you know, Larry made a great point that, you know, there's a digital transformation that's happening in the rest of the world. And states are, are looking to make um, license purchases easier, simpler, um, whether it's through apps or, or your online experience or telephone or text. Um, change, change is coming. We're hoping that uh, HIP can be part of that change and we'll get better data um, from hunters and um, be able to utilize that better for management purposes. So then it's reasonable to to think that if if this pilot study shows progress, then that provides additional templates, additional experiences uh, from which other states that may, may not be participating in this pilot study might then be able to kind of seize upon the lessons learned, the experiences to implement their own set of improvements. That's kind of the idea. Absolutely, with a especially with a state like Louisiana stepping up and being first um, in line, um, you know, as important as they are for waterfowl harvest, if it's, if it's successful in in Louisiana, I think you're going to see a lot of other states um, take efforts like that or develop their own unique efforts to improve the quality of their hip data. Very good. And I know there's a lot of communication efforts uh, underway, certainly in Louisiana, and I'm assuming any of the other states that are participating in this, they will also be communicating these changes to their to their constituents. And that's all great to hear. Uh, I think that's going to about cover it. But I, but I want to give each of you, Larry and Brad, an opportunity to make any final remarks. And Larry, I'll start with you first. So, so any closing words for our listeners? These changes that we're making in Louisiana are kind of a first step. There are a lot of issues that influence the quality of the harvest estimates. I've already talked about harvest estimates being more important now than ever for the management of our resources, for the optimization of our hunting opportunity. 
And there are other things Kathy Fleming discussed in the earlier episodes, changes in response rates. Um, uh, we're, we're talking about modernizing the way these data are collected, um, maybe through uh, photographs of wings rather than the actual wings being being sent in. There's there's modernization going on uh, that 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 we need a improved sampling frame to evaluate. And, and that was a point early on. This HIP pilot study was not a no-brainer for all of the flyways. There was a lot of debate. There was a lot of dissension. Um, there's some disagreement between states about the inconveniencing of hunters by making them take another step um, uh, for HIP certification. But in the end... For us to get at the other problems, the other potential sources of, of variation and difficulty in the harvest estimates, we need to get the sampling frame right. It shouldn't be that difficult. Um, there, we should be able to develop a, a protocol that does so um, effectively and quickly. And, and that's, really where, that's really where we're trying to go with it. And Brad, any final words from you? The important thing is for hunters to understand what their role is and why it's important for them to um, to participate and why they benefit from high quality data in there. You know, I know that the three of us are all avid waterfowl hunters and want to, um, to perpetuate waterfowl hunting or migratory bird hunting, um, and want um, certainly all the other uh, listeners out there to understand that you know that they they play a role that you know we all see the role that um that we contribute to um to this cooperative endeavor that we call uh, migratory bird management that's a great point brad and as we reflect back on the history of waterfowl management migratory bird management in north america hunters have always played a crucial role in helping us find solutions or bring resources to 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 uh, to deliver solutions to problems, whether they be habitat related, population related. Now we're talking about an issue, a problem as it relates to some of the data that we use to manage this resource. And yet again, here we see hunters being a critical part of the solution. And so that that again just speaks to the absolute essential role that hunters play in the entire migratory bird enterprise. And, and that should be a point of pride for every migratory bird hunter in North America, recognizing the crucial role that they play. And, and so I, I know the three of us uh, express, extend our thanks and our organizations extend, Brad, I should say your former organization extends our thanks and gratitude to the hunters that that in so many ways are responsible for helping this migratory bird conservation enterprise uh, go forward. So, Brad, Larry, thank you so much for for joining us, for sharing your time and expertise. This has been great. I've enjoyed it uh, and look forward to catching up with you sometime in the future. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, Mike. And thank, thanks to um, you and all my friends there, DU, and all your members. A special thanks to our guests on today's show, Brad Bortner and Larry Reynolds. We greatly appreciate their their extensive time on this topic, a very valuable topic, important topic for all hunters to be aware of. Uh, and, and certainly, again, we, we thank hunters for their important contribution in every aspect of waterfowl and migratory bird management. 
We also thank our producer, Clay Baird, the editor of these shows, who does a great job making us sound better than we are and then getting these podcasts out to you, the listeners. And of course, the listeners, as we say every time, you are the most important part of this venture. We thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DE Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks.